0: I want to preach to you today about if you stop for a moment and think about what you've prayed, sometimes we tend to forget. And what I mean by that is not that we just kind of forget uh, the words that we say, but have we forgotten who we're talking to? And have we forgotten what we've talked to him about? Have we forgotten throughout our years how strong and how wonderful and worthy? And I love the scriptures that use this word majestic in his majesty and in his presence. Have you forgotten who you're talking to? Sometimes we, especially in the South, we, and I don't mean this in the wrong way, but we dumb words down a lot of times. You know what I mean? We, we put words together and combine them in the South, and it's Southern slang and all that stuff, you know. And, and we kind of dumb words down, and, and we miss out on things sometimes. And sometimes in our Christian prayer life, did you know it can be that same way? that you can actually get so repetitionist in your everyday prayer because you know you're supposed to and you know that it's a habit that you need to be doing that you can become so, what the word is, mundane or just relax in your prayer time that even when you get through praying it that you just really don't even know what you said. And it's that way with the relationships too. We're that way between husbands and wives. Sometimes there are times where we have to actually look at each other and go, no, 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 I need your attention. Let's focus for a moment. Mostly that's Patty saying that to me. I need your attention. Let's focus for a moment. Put the guitar down and stop looking at me like, uh, you know, and, and, and listen to me. It's that way with our prayer life. We get so mundane, get so wrapped up, even in our Christian walk. And so I want to ask you this morning, through the life of Asa, are we living like him? Are we doing like him? By the time this is over with, you're all going to be going, Brother Nick's going to be going, I want to be Asa. Okay, man, he was a man of God, a great king of Israel, of all of the kings of Israel. He was one of the great ones. He was the good, righteous one, I promise you. By the time it's over with, you're going to be going, I don't know if I want to be like Asa or not. Or you're going to be saying, you know what, I'm definitely a lot like him. Look at chapter number 14. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa his son reigned in his place, and in his, day, or in his days the land was quiet for ten years. And looking at that, I love I love. And I know chapters were not in there. They were not brought along until about 1,500, stuff like that, because we needed to remember and go. But I love how beginning of these letters and the beginning of these books or or, or different uh, paragraphs of these books start out. Because when you look at them, you go, who cares? Stop for a moment. Don't think. Now, I'm not talking bad about the Bible, Brother David, but if you stop and you go, Abijah rested with his fathers. In other words, what that means is Abijah died. And now as he is dead, then... Asa his son came into kingship in his stead and they had peace for 10 years and you go Well, that's great. What does that all really mean? If you stop and look at it for a moment, we're seeing this genealogy kind of unfold in front of us. We're seeing something happen in the life of this guy Asa, and it's reminding us of his people before him. If you look, Asa's father was Abijah. Abijah's father, which would be Asa's granddaddy, stay with me, uh, his granddaddy was Rehoboam, which was king over Israel, which did wrong in the sight of God and did evil and brought in kind of idol worship and idolatry and all these other things other things. But then his daddy, if you remember back, his daddy was Solomon. So Asa's great granddad was Solomon, King Solomon, one that everybody knows about Solomon, right? He had such wisdom and all that stuff, which would make one more back. If you go back just a little bit more, it would make Asa the great, great grandson of King David. And you say, how do you get all of that from that one scripture? You don't. you got to go and read the other parts of the Bible. But if you look at it, we see where this guy comes from. And and all of us do this. I tell, I tell everybody that my dad can go anywhere and meet anyone, and we're related to him by the time the conversation is over. I'm telling you, we go to Gulf Shores, and we're standing there waiting for golf cart rides, and my dad goes, hey, there's your cousin Mikey. And I'm like, who are you talking about? We were in Israel at the Dead Sea in a restaurant and a lady comes up to us and says someone here knows you and I was like no one here knows me and my dad no one knows who we are and stuff a lady walks around the corner hefty looking lady from the south and she goes hey y'all and I went now she might know us and it was Hutch Strickland's mom, which was the race car, NASCAR driver. Hutch Strickland and his mom was knew my grandmother that lived in Thorsby, Alabama. And if you stop and think about it, people from Thorsby and Clinton, they don't get out anywhere. So how did she end up at the Dead Sea in Israel? And then we were related to him. That's why I didn't ever bring my girlfriends home about a month until a month to three months later because my dad would figure out that we were related, and I didn't want to do that. And so... This is cool. My dad always goes around and they go, Gordon, they go, hey, are you kin to this Abney, this so-and-so Abney? And I go, I don't know, but my dad is. And they're all like, what do you mean? I said, I promise you, my dad's related to everybody, and he'll figure it out. And It'll be this, 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 this. And I don't remember it all, and I probably need to do better at this. But the last time that I attempted to do that was when my grandmother passed away, and we sat down, and they had an ancestry book. And when I opened it up, I saw people we were kin to that I thought, no, please, no one, God, let no one ever know that we were related to that person. And so I shut it, and I said, I'm not going back at all anymore. We're This Abney family, as me and my house, we're serving the Lord. We're going forward. But there was things about Asa that I love. And some of you are going to hear some scriptures that you probably will recall about him. And you'll go, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. But there's three things that I wanted to share with you about Asa. Not just in his genealogy and his, you know, his... uh, um, Uh, um, whatever you call his patriarchs, the ones that were before him, the fathers and all before him. But I want you to see his life. And in order to see his life, we really need to go back and see who he was related to. Asa was the kind of guy that when you went to the house of God, you would want to be around him. Especially in his early years, I believe Asa was the guy that truly loved the Lord with all of his heart and he wanted to do the right thing. The first thing I want to show you is that Asa trusted the Lord in worship. He trusted God wholeheartedly in worship. Now, sometimes, listen to me, some of you are sitting here and you're going, well, I trust God in worship. Why would I not trust God in worship? Why would I not do that? But yet, you allow other things sometimes to come in. And let me show you what happened in the life of Asa. Look at verse number 2 of that same chapter. It says, Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away of the altars of the strange gods and the high places, and he broke down the images, he cut down the groves, and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. And he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. They all had peace. And during this peace time, look at what happened. And he built fenced cities in Judah, for the land had rest. And he had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said unto Judah, he said, Let us build these cities, and make them walls and towers and gates and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. The Bible says that Asa in his worship, he trusted God wholeheartedly. He didn't turn to the left or to the right when it came to the word of God and when it came to keeping the commandments of God. This kind of guy was the one that you would want to try to allow to disciple you in your life. This was the kind of person that when it came to a decision that needed to be made, he went to the word of God and looked for what God said to do and he tried his best to uphold that. He, he would be the kind of guy that was just this um, uh, uh, this energy or energetic or just this enthusiasm about him, about the Lord, would kind of draw you as a believer of God. He he would kind of draw you in because you just wanted to talk to him, you know. Even that word enthusiasm talks about, it's, it's two words, it's in and in theos, and being in God, in Christ, in God, in theos, that's what causes the enthusiasm that we have, and we get excited about the Lord and how many of you remember when when you were really close to the Lord and when you read the word of God it was like just coming off the pages it was like you just couldn't get enough you would read and you would find yourself like man I've been been in here for 30 minutes or an hour even more reading the word of God and <clears throat> the stuff that comes off the pages or being with God's people and all this stuff and now what we have in America and please let me help you relate this or bring it help me to relate it to you and bring it all together in America, we want God in, in Christianity, in American Christianity. We want God, but we are so allowing everything else to infiltrate and come in and distract us. We are allowing so much stuff that is ungodly to enter into church itself. We've allowed the way that we speak, the way that we look, the things that we say. Uh, I was sharing a video with Patty before we had the service this morning about Christianese. I've always joked around that people put it on a, a handkerchief for me, but... We shouldn't speak Christianese, and what I mean by that is that we shouldn't speak in such a way that it's so churchy and so Christianese that people in the world don't even understand what we're talking about. We, we, we speak to them sometimes like a, a foreign language, and they have no idea that you're trying to help them, but it's because you've learned these patterned words and stuff. And we've become people that are robotic, and actually instead of transformed by the renewing of the mind, we're just like transformers, and we're just going about our day, and we're robots instead of being the people of God. And we need to stop sometimes and understand that we live in a society where we can reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ by not sounding christian or churchy or all of these phrases. Just reach them by being yourself and share the word of God with them. And then what happens to us is we allow false doctrines to come into the church. Even Christians today, they talk about things. And some, we joke about this stuff a lot, and everybody jokes about it. But we talk about things like, you know, this is my mantra, or this is my mantra, whatever way you want to pronounce it, if you're upper Alabama or lower Alabama. And then we talk about, you know, karma and all of this other stuff, and we're doing these things. And even today, we we use the words of meditation, and we understand that we in the Scriptures get that word, let the meditation of my heart, you know, be pleasing unto you. You know what I mean? The words of my mouth be pleasing unto you. But we've even moved into this Hindu and Buddhism and all this other stuff. And we're trying to bring all of these other false gods and mix them together with the one true God. Years ago, I read the Quran And I read, I went through, and people, there's people I didn't share that with because I have some friends that are so wrapped up in legalism that they would hammer me and just kind of just drill me to the wall, but I wanted to know what those people thought about their God so that I could share with them about who I know is God. See, I didn't go and read that first. I read the Word of God. I don't go in the enemy's territory and do all those things without understanding first what God says about it. I don't go out, like Adrian Rogers said, and search for counterfeits until I first know what the original says. And so, I wanted to do that because I wanted to know how these people thought of Jesus. I wanted to know what what they understood about Him what he did at the cross and all these things so that I could be able to win some of them with the gospel of Jesus. And so I understand that through the book of Sarah and the cow or the book of the cow that they would actually say that Esa, Isa, I-S-A Isa, Jesus, he's is a great prophet. They thought of him, Brother Nick, as a great man. They even knew that he went to the cross but they said he did it as a magical show and stuff. They believe that God is the God of Ishmael not the God of Isaac. They believe that the promised seed is the one that came through Ishmael and not through Isaac but the scripture. Scriptures tell us that it came through Isaac. And listen, there was nothing special about Isaac. It was just something special about his birth. Amen, but what was special about Isaac was God was saying, "I can do what no woman whose womb is dead within her and no man who who himself is dead within himself at a hundred years of age, I can do all things, amen, and I'm going to choose to bring my son through what you think can't happen. I'm going to bring him through so that what so that when we receive him, brother Nick, he's going to do for us what most people think can't happen. Amen, And he's going to save our souls. He's going to save our lives. And so Asa was a man who trusted God in all this. And he didn't allow all of these terminologies and all of these words to come in to the kingdom. He said, no, in worship, it's either God or it's nothing. And we need to get that way. You know, this past, was it Thursday night? We did the communion, the Christmas Eve communion thing together, and we enjoyed it. I'm going to be honest with you. I did the video on Monday, and when I did the video on Monday, I knew what I was sharing. I knew what I was preaching, and I knew where I was going with it. But on Thursday, when I watched it with my family, I cried more than they did because I needed to hear it. You say, what do you mean, Brother Steve? I needed to hear what I said on Monday, but I needed it on Thursday. I needed to be reminded that the blood of Jesus is sufficient enough. I needed to be reminded, even in my Christian walk, even in my pastoral walk, I needed to be reminded that he is enough. Now sit there as I listen to what he tries to be some kind of preacher. And I listened to that whole sermon and listened at the end, because I don't watch the sermons that I preach. I would not do that cruelty to myself at all, none of them. And I sat there and listened. I was reminded that it was the blood of Jesus or it was nothing. Either he is the one that cleanses our sins or it's no other lamb or it's no other way. And I was just so excited and so thankful. Asa was that kind of guy. Asa was the kind of king that when he came into the throne, that as he reigned, he did what was right in the sight of God. Thank God for that because his granddaddy didn't. His granddaddy didn't do what was right at all. His granddaddy set up false gods and worshipped false gods and all of those other things. And the Bible says, listen, look at verse number 2. Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Look, he took away the strange altars or they altars of the strange gods. He removed the high places. He broke down the images, and he cut down the groves, and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers. He went through Judah, and he began to tell them, tear it down, tear it down, tear it down. It wasn't easy for him. But what did come easy for him was his trust in God, knowing that he had to trust God in worship. Now, imagine this I come to your house, Brent, or I come to your house, you know, I come to your house, Danny, and all that, and I tell you, you need to get rid of this, you need to get rid of that. That's a false God. Most people in American Christianity today would begin right out of the gate Don't you judge me. Asa was faced with that difficulty. Asa faced the difficulties of trusting in God in worship. And he told the people, you've got to trust the Lord in all things. How many of you remember the story about Moses and when they were fighting against, I believe it was the Amalekites, and as they were fighting, Joshua was down there and they were winning the battle as long as what was taking place. As long as Moses was up there on that mountainside and he had his hands up, the Bible says that Israel prevailed over their enemies. But it said, and I don't think it was because they were okay. Moses had to do these things. I believe it was because God specifically told Moses. He said, "I will be God to you, and you will be God to the people." And what he was saying is, is that when I speak, I'll speak to you. Now, if you can choose to tell Aaron your brother, and he can tell the people because you're so caught up with your speech problem, he said. But I'm talking to you and not Aaron. He said, "I'm going to be God to you, and you're going to give them the instructions." And so, imagine as Joshua and all them are down there fighting and their swords and their shields and their battle is going on and all of a the sudden they look up there they're just drained and they're wore out brother Patrick and they're just beat and like man we can't go another step we can't keep going and they look up Moses still standing up there with his hands up and they were going yes we can he's still worshiping God and God is still worthy and God's still with us and we're going to beat this enemy man isn't that good that's good and then all of a sudden Moses his hands were getting tired and they fell by his side And you know what happened? The Bible says that the battle began to turn and the enemy began to overtake them. And instead of them saying, everybody run, run away, retreat, retreat, you know what they did? They went up there, a man by the name of Aaron and a man by the name of Hur, and they took Moses and set him upon a rock. And they both, one got on one side and one got on the other, and they held up the weary hands of Moses so that he could continue worshiping God and lifting his hands. And the enemy was defeated that day. And that was what Asa was trying to get the people to know. He said, our prayers will not be answered if you continue to seek the world about these things. These are godly issues, and we need God of heaven to answer our prayers. We need God to help us. Let me say something to you in a timeout, okay? Timeout, what that means for me in the church services, it doesn't apply to the whole sermon. Okay, So that means I get to have extra time at the end of the sermon. But what I mean by time out is, look, as I'm saying that we in American churches today, and churches across the world, but mostly in Americanized gospel, Americanized Christianity, we are so caught up with what's going on outside the world, it is, it is devastating to wake up daily and see what's happening. It tears at my heart to know that five of our pastors from Belize are dead. The cause of a horrible virus. While we want to say everyone dies every day, we understand that. But this thing is crazy. It's almost like a tornado that hits this house and then skips over this one. While this family gets it and they have no symptoms at all, this family can get it and it absolutely ravages them and their body. It is unreal what's going on. It is unreal what is happening all around us. Even within our government, we are actually imploding within ourselves on a lot of things and a lot of issues. And we cannot continue to be a nation who says that we're blessed by God that doesn't follow God. We cannot continue to say the big so- sing the big songs of God bless America while we are taking babies and throwing them in the garbage cans. We can't continue to be that people. I don't preach this out of anger today. I preach it from a broken heart. If we want God to bless us, then we're going to have to say, God, forgive us. God, forgive us of our sins. We can't continue in church to think that we'll be blessed when pastors run off with piano players, when deacons are molesting young children, when priests and pastors are doing these horrible things. We can't say that we're the people of God and act like the people of hell. Amen? Amen. We have to say, God, forgive us. We can't go home and get drunk on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and come and say, oh, blessed be the name of God on Sunday. We can't go around and commit all these fornications and sins and do this stuff while we're gone away somewhere and then come back and be another person. We can't continue to let the filth come out of our mouth. And what's happening is is we're allowing it in, and most of us allow it in by doing this every single day. It's constantly feeding us. You say, Brother Steve, what is the answer? Tear down the groves. Tear down the false gods. Tear down the idol worship. Football is great. I love football. I like playing football. Baseball is great. Basketball is great. All these things are great. But they are not sufficient gods. They're not. They're supposed to be for recreation and for fun and not to be worshiped. And we today in the United States, in the South, we worship it. More people are caught up and wrapped up in championship games and make plans weeks ahead of time, Brother David, to go to these games, to invite people to their homes, to have the food laid out more than they are about going to the house of God. They are. We are. Listen, we're all guilty on these things. We get so wrapped up. We have SEC championship parties and all these national championship parties, and they do these things, and we spend time and time and time. We prepare, but how much do you give to God? How much are you giving to God? That's what Asa was dealing with. Asa was like, you can't come to the house of the Lord and worship him and then go home and worship a wooden totem pole in the backyard. You can't call on the name of God to heal your son or save your daughter and then go home and call on the name of alcoholism and drugism and do all those things. He said, We need to repent. So it wasn't easy for Asa to trust God and worship, but he did it. And God blessed them. For 10 years of the beginning of his kingship, they didn't have any kind of war. He even lived in the days of peace. But Asa trusted God in worship. He did all of that. He also trusted God in war. See, the problem is is that we trust God in our moments of mountain experiences. But do we trust God when it comes time for battle? I think it was Thomas Paine or Thomas Jefferson, and I can't remember. I know that Thomas Paine wrote a book years ago called Common Sense, which... That wouldn't be the best seller today. But I believe it was Thomas Jefferson that talked about patriots of America back in those days. He called them sunshine patriots. And you say, what is a sunshine patriot? He said they only wanted to fight the battle when the sun was shining and when the weather was pretty. They weren't willing to endure the winter and the harsh and the months of when it took guts to be out there on the battle. And God forbid that we would ever have sunshine Christians. Asa trusted God even in war. Look at verse 8. It says, And Asa had an army of men that bare targets and spears. Out of Judah he had 300,000 men. And out of Benjamin, they that bare shields and drew bows, two hundred and fourscore thousand. That means 280,000. He had 580,000 soldiers ready to go. All of these were men of valor. And there came out against him Zerah, an Ethiopian or the Ethiopian, It says, with a host of a thousand thousand. He had a million of these soldiers and 300 chariots this man had. And it came to Mereshah and Asa went out against him and they set the battle in the ray in the valley of Ziphath. Zephathah of Mereshah. The Bible says, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let no man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled, and Asa and the people that were with him pursued them unto uh, uh, Gerar, and it says, And the Ethiopians were overthrown, and that they could not recover themselves, for they were destroyed before the Lord and before his host, and they carried away very much spoil. And they smote all the cities round about, for their cities, uh, excuse me, yeah, cities round about Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they spoiled all the cities for there was exceeding much spoil in them. They smote also the tents of the cattle and carried away the sheep and the camels in abundance and it says, and returned to Jerusalem. All that to go and to talk about this, that he trusted God in war. The Bible says that he had 300,000 men that were there from Judah that had shields and they had spears. And he said they had 280,000 men that he connected with the tribe of Benjamin and he got them to come together. I like men that want to try to get guys to come together for help. He said, look, there's going to be a battle, we need help. He sent 280,000 men with small shields and with bow and arrows. And all of a sudden there, Brother Jimmy, they're all lined up. The Bible says those men were all lined up in array for the battle. And they saw that zero, that they'd come and that they're going to battle against. The Ethiopians were going to come and they were going to come against him It said all these. He said it was like thousands of, thousands of thousands of thousands of thousands of men. And not only that, but he pointed out specifically that they had 300 chariots. And it was something that the Israeli army and military at that time, they didn't have. And he said they had 300 chariots. And they knew, listen, they knew what these Ethiopians and what these men of war could do with those chariots. They knew, Brother Nick, how swift that they could come in. They knew how that they could attach swords or or blades on the sides of their chariots and actually just run through an army and destroy many of them. And so you got to think, as the battle is arrayed, Asa is going help. Asa in his mind is thinking, I, I, uh, Lord, I need help. Uh, something, you know. But by faith, he put the battle in array. But before he ever gave the command, charge or go, before he did that, look at verse number 11. The Bible says, and Asa cried out unto the Lord. The Bible says in chapter 14, verse number 11, Asa cried out unto the Lord. And you know what he said? The first thing he said, Lord, it is nothing for thee to help. He said, it is nothing with you to give help. How could Asa pray something like that? How could Asa make a statement like that? And this is what I think was going on because I try to look at even my prayer life. He's not reminding God of who he is. Asa is not going, God, now you know you can give help. It's not what he's doing. But even in our prayers, this is a man's fleshly prayer, a righteous man, no, you know, mind you, but it's a fleshly prayer. And he goes, Lord, it is nothing with you to help. I believe with all my heart, Brother Nick, he's trying to remind himself as he's praying, God, it's no big thing for you to help. And what he was saying was, look, all this stuff that we're fixing to go through and all this stuff that I'm going through right now, God, with you, it's nothing. With you, it's nothing for you to help and to extend your hand of help. And he even, he even tagged this on there. He said, whether with many or with those that have no power. You see what he's doing if you can, if you can go to that battlefield with me, he's got the five hundred and eighty thousand that he has, and then there's the other side over there with probably a million of those soldiers on that side, and the three hundred chariots. Can you see in your mind as you kind of imagine the the snorting of the nostrils of those horses that are pulling those chariots? And man, they're they're war horses and they're ready to come, and they're just they're kind of what we say, chomping at the bit, you know, and they're stomping and they're ready. And you can see some of those mighty men as they are built. Up with pride, and they're thinking, Look at these, look at this measly army of 580,000. They've got big shields and, and spears, and this group over here has got small shields and just some bow and arrows. And you know, it'd be like us looking at a football team, you know, a, a 1A versus a, a 7A, and you want to stand on that sideline and you want to go, You're going to get whooped. You know what I mean? Years ago, Jacob played basketball, and we went to Birmingham Southern. And, and, and the boys that we were playing with, the Blue Devils, they man, they were decked out. They had, David, they had, they had the jerseys, they had shorts, and they had shoes and socks, and they all matched. Every person had to have a spirit pack, and everything about them matched. And I'll never forget sitting there. And I saw this busload of kids come in from the poorest part of the city, and none of them had a jersey. They all had different shorts on, athletic shorts. None of them had a jersey. They all had T-shirts that the coach or somebody's mama went and got a black marker. And wrote a number on the back. And I'll never get, I leaned over to Jacob and I said they are going to kill y'all. <laughs> and Jacob laughed at me. He was like, whatever. And I'm like I promise you, y'all are going to look good but they're going to beat y'all. And he's like, you don't know what you're talking about. I watched them play and it was like fluid water. They were so connected together and they whooped everybody. And in my mind I was going, I told you. I told you. You know why? Look. Because even in this scripture, this is what the battle looks like. He's like, Lord, it's nothing with you to help. Whether you're going to choose to help them that are many, or you're going to help choose these that are without power. And you notice the words he says, without power. I think he was talking about that strength of the chariots that they had. He said, God, we don't have have what they have. They, They have a nuclear weapon. We don't have what they have. And he says, but God, with you, it's nothing to help whether it's them or whether it's us. And then look at this other part of the scripture. He says, help us, O Lord, our God. Help us. Have you ever been at a place in your prayer life where all you could do is just say, Lord, help us. Lord, help me. He says in this next part, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let no man prevail against thee. Do you see what he's saying? He says, God, we rest on you. And then look at this phrase. Take time for a moment. This is not a timeout. We'll keep it going. But take time to look at this next part. He says, and in thy name we'll go against this multitude. Where, where is Asa getting this from? Stop and think about it for a moment. This man has had peace nearly his whole kingship. He's had peace you know, the first 10 years we know of, and then he, one of his first battles is this one. He had peace, so where would he get this kind of prayer? Who, who taught him how to pray like this? I don't know about y'all, but I loved the beginning of our message today and the beginning of the scriptures that related us to his dad, Abijah, who related Asa to a granddad by the name of Rehoboam that did evil in the sight of God who then took us to a man that was his great-granddaddy by the name of Solomon, who what? He did right, and God blessed him and gave him wisdom above all, and he was a great king. But look at that part of the prayer. He said, in your name... We will go against this multitude. Years and years before Asa ever prayed this, brother Jimmy, years and years before Asa, as we say in the south, was a twinkle in the eye, right? He had no idea what he was going to be going through, but there was a little ruddy boy who brought a pizza with cheese all over it to his brothers. You see what he's talking about? The Bible says that there was a son of Jesse by the name of David. And it says that Israel was out and they were fighting against Goliath and the armies of the Philistines and it says that he left the sheep behind and he took cheese and bread which to me is a cheese pizza Okay, and he went to feed his brothers and when he got there he found out that his brothers were all cowardly hiding away from a man on the other side of the valley of Elah who was beating his chest and bragging about how big he was and was saying you are nothing but a bunch of little dogs and you can send all of these people over here and I will defeat them all and David was moved by the Holy Spirit of God and he said who is this uncircumcised Philistine Talking about our God. He said, who is this man? You know what his brother said? His brother said, why did you come out here? you just come out here to see a fight. Why don't you go back home? Who did you leave those sheep with? He was trying to intimidate him. And he said, who is this man speaking about our God? And he said, I'll go and fight him. And then King Saul had a great idea and said, I'll tell you what, David, you can wear my armor. Instead of Saul should have said, no, you're not fighting, we're fighting. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my armor. David goes in there and tries it on and he says, I can't wear this. I haven't proven this. And you can imagine his Brother, you can imagine Brother Nick, King Saul, and others going, how are you going to fight him? What are you going to fight him with? David picks up five stones, and he has a sling in his hand. What are you going to go? How are you going to go? He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He looked over at that valley, and he said, You come to me with a spear and a sword, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, of the Lord of hosts. And he said, This day he will deliver you into my hand. And he took that sling, and he slung that rock out of it, and it went into the forehead of that giant, sunk in, knocked him over. David went over there took David Goliath's sword, cut his head off, and whooped him. In the south, let's just put it in plain English. He whooped him that day, and he told anybody else, you want some, come get it. He did. He was ready. You know why? Because he went in the name of the Lord. And now we see his great-great-grandson battling against people that are wicked. And he calls out on the name of the Lord... And he absolutely had to be rehearsed about what his great-great-granddaddy did as a little boy because even all of the Israelites now ask any Jewish person today. They know the story of David because it was told many, many times. Can you hear this? Listen to me. And so Asa drew out, Brother Nick, of his great-great-grandfather's prayer a line that he knew that he needed to live by. And that is, whatever he does... He needs to do in the name of the Lord. We have that same line in Scripture. It says, Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it heartily, with all of your heart, as unto the Lord, and not unto men. All these men were standing around wondering what Asa was going to do. Are you going to give the command? Imagine all the ones afraid and scared. Asa trusted God in war, and so he said, Men, before we fight, hang on, let's pray. Because Asa knew no matter the length of the sword, no matter the the strength of the shield, that they would lose and absolutely lose if God was not with them. Do we think that today? Or have we in America gotten too big for our britches to think that we have the best military, the best strategic planning, the best weapons and all of that? Have we forgotten that it is God that has brought us this far? Have we forgotten that it is God who has blessed us as a nation? I believe that we have. Because now we trust more on other things than we do on God. Asa trusted God in the time of war. Listen, Asa was warned. I'm going to go quick through these. Asa was warned to stay faithful to God. After great victories, you always need this warning to remind you to stay faithful. Look at what it says in chapter 15, verse 2, real quick. And he went out to meet Asa. This is the prophet. He went out to meet Asa. And he said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you, look at these words, while you be with him. You see that, Brother Butch? The Lord's with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Azariah, the prophet, the son of Oded, he's the one that came out and he spoke to Asa. And he told him, he said, Let me remind you of something. Don't forget God and all these things. Don't forget that God was with you and that he was the one that gave you the victory. And that as long as you are with him, he is with you. Now listen, don't, don't take this as a New Testament salvation experience. I'm not talking about you can lose your salvation. But I am going to tell you this. Baptist people are the absolute worst at making a statement of once saved, always saved. I believe in the security, the eternal security of the believer. I believe that when God saved me, I am saved and you can't do anything about it. And even Satan himself can't do anything about it. It says that I'm in the hands of Jesus and Jesus is in the hands of the Father. and No man's able to pluck him out of the Father's hands. So if nobody can get Jesus out, then you ain't getting me out either. But I do believe that there are some people that made a statement of faith and not a true profession of faith. They actually made a profession, but they didn't have a possession of it, and they go back and do other things. That's what First John says. If they were of us, they would have continued with us, but because they were not of us, they went away from us. But in this scripture, we're not talking about salvation. He's saying, in your walk with the Lord, as long as you're walking with him and you're leaning on him every day, he's going to be with you. He's going to be with you. See, listen, what this prophet was trying to tell Asa, he said, Bud, you're going to be tempted after your victories. To kind of get slack. You're going to be tempted to kind of just take ease a little bit. And he was reminding him, that's exactly what happened to the people of Israel previously. That's what happened to your great-grandfather, your grandfather, not great-grandfather, but your grandfather, Rehoboam. That's what happened is that they had these victorious moments and then they just took it easy. See, Let me share something with you. When war is happening and battles happening... You really can't focus, spiritual battles what I'm talking about, spiritual things that you're going through. It's hard for you to focus on studying what you need. You do this, you go, oh God, I need a word from you. Oh God, I need a word from you. And you'll find yourself in those times of war, spiritual battles, that, that, that you, can't even, you can't even read it because of that thing that happened. You know what I mean? It's like, God, I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to see you in all this. I need you in all this. And you're going, Lord, well, I need you. And you read those verses and you go, oh, but this is what happens. This is what you should do as a Christian. You need it now. You need it today. You need to heed the word of God, pay attention to the word of God now before you go into times of war. See, Asa worshipped God and he trusted God in worship, brother Jimmy, because he knew there would come a day. He built and fortified the cities He strengthened the cities because he knew there would come a day that battle would come. And so what he did, he put his walk with God to the test, to the trial every day so that when he faced battle, he didn't go, oh, no, Lord, what am I going to do? And he didn't have the word of God. No, he put it in him so that when battle came, it comes up. You understand that? You know what? Whenever your sugar is low, and I don't know if you understand this statement stuff, your sugar is low and stuff. There may be a time where you can't get it put in you because you don't even know what's going on. I mean, I was on a boat one time, and Patty checked my sugar. And it was 32. I thought I was going out. I thought I was dying. I was literally, she was like, we need to do something. She handed me a Mountain Dew. Thank God I was able to even drink it at a level of 32. Some people, when they get that low, they can't even take anything in. They need it medically injected into them. You guys firing stuff, you know what I'm talking about. They're just passed out, and they're just almost dead, going into a coma. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's why I ask you to read your Bible. That's why I ask you to have a prayer time every day. Seek God, because there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to need him the deepest. You're going to need him the most. And in that moment, you're not going to be able to figure out what you actually need because you didn't put it in you in the beginning. And you need it now, so that when it comes up, you can just bring it up. Jesus told them, do not give thought for what you shall speak in that day when he told them they'll deliver you up to governors and they'll kill you. He said, Don't think, don't give any thought to what you shall speak in that day, for I shall speak through you. And what he's talking about is you take it in now. Get it now, and when that day comes, you'll be able to bring it up. How many of you struggle with forgiveness? And don't lie, because if you lie, then you're going to have to ask God forgive you. We struggle with forgiveness. I'll never forget one of the illustrations someone showed me one time was said, look, when you forgive somebody, he said it's hard if Brent's mad at me and, and, and he won't come and ask forgiveness, but I still as a Christian have to forgive him. It's hard to work that out if he won't come to me and we can't get together. He said, so what you do is you go ahead and forgive them and you put it in that mason jar and put it on the shelf. And when that person's ready to come and receive that forgiveness, you tell them I already forgave you. Let me get it. It's right here. Open. Give it to them. I know that's a goofy illustration, but that is exactly what Christ does for us. He has forgiveness ready and available, but you must come to him. It's already there. You must come to him. Asa was warned, you better stay the right way and the right track. Then listen to this last part. He said, Asa and the people entered into a covenant with God. Look at verse 12. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. That whatsoever or whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death. (laughs) Whether small or great, whether man or woman. How about that? Today we're going to say that we're going to follow God. And we're going to make a covenant. And we're going to do a bylaw in our North Highland Baptist Church bylaws today. And we're going to say that if you don't do right, then David, we kill you. How about we do that? Huh? That seems pretty steep. And I know most people mark that up to go, oh, that's God of the Old Testament. Like the God of the Old Testament was different from the God of the New Testament. He's saying. The problem is, is in our understanding and in our reading. It's not necessarily that it was all about, okay, we're going to just go into this big, massive slaughter and we're going to kill everybody. Well, the problem was going on was, is Asa wanted those people's dedication to be strong and to make sure that they knew that committing their lives to the Lord was difficult, and that it should be highly favored. It should be highly reserved, or not reserved, but revered. That if you're going to make a commitment to God to follow him, then don't do it cheap. If you're going to make a commitment, do it wholeheartedly. In 1996, in a church in Mount Olive, my dad preached Calvin Armstrong, some other men preached, and I was licensed to the ministry, the gospel ministry. I'll never forget that night in that little bitty church on Mount Olive Road because on that night, they all gathered me together. They charged me. You know what charged me? They set me down in a seat in front of everybody and pointed their long fingers at me and preached at me. The other people were like, amen. I was like, yeah, if you're sitting here, you wouldn't be doing that. You know, and they charged me with the mission. They brought me down, Brother Jimmy. And they sent me right there, and I got on my knees, and they prayed for me. My dad prayed for me. My friends prayed for me and all that. I'll never get this one evangelist. He was a cowboy boot-wearing. Look at me at my God-given eyeball preacher. You know what I'm talking about? You don't know what I'm talking about. You don't even have no idea what I'm talking about. I mean, he'd stomp his boots all over the place. These kind of preachers could stand on the pulpit and never break anything. I'd stand on the pulpit and crush it. They'd stand on the pew. He'd say, look at me and my God-given eyeball. And what that meant was, you better pay attention. (laughs) And this was before cell phones. I'll never forget. He leaned over in my ear and he began to pray. It was He was talking to God through my ear hole. He was trying to reach God and he was yelling in my ear. And was trying to reach heaven by screaming it into my ear. And he prayed this, and I've told you this before. He said, God, if Brother Steve ever gets out of your will... If he ever gets out of the ministry, I pray you kill him. And I'm going, no, God, kill him. No, and I, I did it quietly in my heart. But I was like, you're, that's, I, th- I, I was offended. I was offended. I thought, how could you pray that? This is supposed to be a great day, and you're praying, God, kill me. I was like, get him out of here. That's crazy. But that's what Asa was saying. Asa was trying to convince the people of God that it would be better that we're dead than for us to continue to bring a reproach against God's holy and precious name. And that preacher that night was not trying to be offensive to me. He was trying to praise something for me that I would not realize until years later, but that if I ever walked away from preaching the truth, sharing the truth, it'd be better that I'd be dead and be in the presence of God than to be a man-pleaser and an ear-tickler. And now I understand it, years later. See, we look at that scripture and we go, man, that was harsh of God, he was going to kill him. No, we should take our commitment to God seriously. And we should say, Lord, we're going to follow you. Here's the very last thing. Asa trusted God in worship. Asa trusted God in wartime. But Asa distrusted God within himself. Man, we could all leave this morning. Patrick, we'd go out here and we'd go, man, I want to be like Asa. I want to be like him. Not, you know, do things right in the sight of God and lead people. And, man, I want to cut down the groves. You know what he did after wartime? You know what he did when the, when the battle was over? He, people probably thought that Asa was just being himself because he preached to the Mayfields. You know what I mean? And he, he got rid of them. Boy, he showed them. But yet he couldn't even do it to his own family. See, because what was going on was behind the scenes, his mother Meisha, she was actually worshiping a false god. She had a false grove and an idol at her house. Asa went up to his mama's house and said, Mama, I got something I need to talk to you about. And she said, Well, what is it? And he said, "You, You can't be queen anymore. I'm taking you queenship away. What do you mean? Because you're worshiping false gods. And he went back there and he tore it down. Not only did he tear it down. He tore it down, cut it up, burnt it in the Kidron Valley. Amen. And destroyed it. See, Asa wasn't a guy that just went around saying, you need to do right and you need to do right. But he also told his family, you need to do right. He's not looking at me. (laughs) You need to do right. He went to his own family and told them. But when it came down... To Asa trusting God for himself, this is where he failed. This is the part of the story that we don't want to hear of Asa. But this is the part of the story that you need to know. It may be because you relate to him. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 7, Brandon, come on. It says, and at that time, Hananiah the seer, came to Asa, the king of Judah. And he said unto him, because you've relied on the king of Syria, and you've not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Now, wait a minute. This has got to be a different Asa of the Bible. Surely there had to be two of them. Because the one we've just heard about, he trusted God in all things. He prayed that God would deliver them from those Ethiopians. And God did all that. There's no way that this is the same guy. This can't be the same guy. Are you with me? Stay with me just a few more minutes. This can't be the same guy. But it is. See, the problem is, is there was a guy by the name of Basha, the king of the northern part of Israel, Dan area and all that, that he made a treaty with Syria and that they were going to help. Uh, excuse me, Asa made a treaty with Syria that they were going to fight against Basha. These were all forbidden by God. They, this shouldn't be done. And Asa went and gave silver and gold vessels of God to this king of Syria. So that he, an outsider, an unbeliever of God Almighty, an unbelieving nation, would help him fight against his own people. He did wrong. And the prophet Hanani, or the seer Hanani, came to him and told him, he said, Asa, it's a shame that in your days now, that you've trusted in the king of Syria more than you've trusted in God. It's horrible. He went and disregarded the prophet he threw Hananiah in the prison he began to beat the people of Judah and punish them he denied God's power Asa for 41 years 1 Kings chapter 15 says he reigned for 41 years and about 37 to 38 of those years were wonderful God filled peaceful times And then at the end of his life, he trusted in a king of Syria more than he trusted God. And then listen to what else happened to him. The Bible says in verse 12, I think it is, in 13, it says, Asa, in the 39th year of his reign, he was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Look at these words. Yet in his disease, he sought not the Lord. He didn't ask God one time to help him. It says, but he went to the physician's. You know what happened to Asa? Verse 13 says he slept with his father. He died in the 41 year of his reign. Man, Asa, all that good stuff about Asa. And then at the end, man, at the end, he's he's like the bottle rocket illustration I always talk about. He goes, shh, and there's no pop. It's like a big dud. Why couldn't you? It's like this. You trusted God to do all these things. But not to do this. Now listen, isn't that us? We know God's salvation is true. We trust God with our salvation. And do you realize the miracle of that salvation? Do you realize every prophecy that had to be fulfilled for Jesus to come? Do you know that you could stack quarters about eight feet high across the whole state of Texas, mark a red dot on one of them, mix them all up, and try to find that one red quarter that's about eight foot deep across the whole state of Texas? That would be like trying to fulfill all the prophecies in one person, and Jesus did it. Every bit of it. All the prophecies, 360, 363 of them, everything has been fulfilled in Jesus, in Him. Everything that it took for you to be saved. Him giving His life and dying for you. We trust that. And then we go through this other thing and we can't trust Him. If He's good enough to do all of that, if He's powerful enough to do all of that, why is He not good and powerful enough to be with us even now? He is. I read an article the other day. And I'm not a political, I'm not going to get on with this. So you can hammer me if you want to. My email is BellSouth.net. But the thing about it is, is that we're mixed up today. I prayed for our past president. I prayed for our previous president before him. Because I'm commanded by the word of God to pray for the king. I'm commanded by God to pray for those who have rule over us. I don't argue with that. I don't sit around and go, God, get him, God, get him, God, get him. I promise you, you know what I I pray? God, sends somebody their way that shares the gospel of Jesus with them and let them radically be changed by the message of the gospel like I was. That's what I pray. I prayed it for Bush. I prayed it for Obama. I prayed it for Trump. And I'll pray it for Biden if he is the president. I'll pray it for him. But someone sent an article to me the other day about nine things. Where our president that is to be now has moved away from, moved away from sanctity of life. For thirty-eight years of his whatever career ministry that you call, he was a sanctity of life and he's moved away. For for 37 years of that, he was a sanctity of marriage and believed the marriage is between a woman and a man and he's moved away from that. And he's moved away and we can figure it out. We can try to go well, maybe move away to, to be voted in, you know, by the world today. It doesn't matter. This is what God hit me with. I begin to cry. Man, I began to be broken. I looked at my wife and I told her, I said, if a man can move himself away from truth that quick, how much quicker? If they receive God as their Savior, they can move toward the truth. How much quicker, how much more, how much more powerful can God, who saves the uttermost, amen, or the guttermost to the uttermost, he can reach down and save a vile sinner just like you and me. Why can't he do that for someone else? See, we have forgotten our prayers. We have forgotten who we're talking to. We're talking to God. We're talking to the Creator. We're talking to the salvation of the world we're tagging the name of Jesus Christ on every prayer. Who did what? He calls blind to see. He calls deaf people to hear. He calls dead people to come out of their grave. Amen. He did all of that stuff. That's who we're talking to in our prayers. And Asa, looking down at his feet every day, he didn't trust in God about the disease in his feet. But he trusted in doctors. And it's really a neat coincidence that the name Asa means physician because Asa did trust in himself more than he trusted in God I'm trying to warn you don't get that way you can't get that way Asa had forgotten his prayers but more saddening than that he forgot the Lord who he was praying to have we we forgotten that have we forgotten that all this junk that's coming in our ears every day and man bombarded by bad news bad news and bad news when we take it to God in prayer have we forgotten that he is a God who is over all things have we forgotten that God is a God who can handle all things brother Nick isn't it amazing of all the messed up stuff that we are all the brokenness that we are we get all those pieces and bring it to him he puts it back together. It's like that song that Brandon sung. Andre Crouch wrote. Through it all, I trust you. Through every trial, through every situation, through every mountain, I trust you. In everything. Can you say that? Seriously. Only you can answer this. I wish I could read your mind and read your face. I can't. Only you can answer it. Do you trust Him with everything? Or do you just trust Him with salvation alone? Just this alone. Are you every day reading your Bible and praying to the Lord? Please, let me ask you. Give me just one minute. Let me ask you this. What is so distracting that you can't pray to Him every day? If it's your PlayStation Take a sledgehammer and bust that thing into pieces. If it's your cell phone, go over to the river today and try to skip that thing as far as you can. Is that what your distraction is? Is it work? You can't find time to pray. You can't find time to talk to him. But yet you want him to be there in the difficult in the war times. But he says, I'm with you as you are with me, as long as you're with me, as you're with me. You want God to move, but you don't read his word? That ain't going to work. And you're going to have to take that watered down, cheap, thin Christianity that you think is so good like that. And you're going to have to get you some meat. Because that's not working for you. And you know it. God knows it. You need him. You need him. When you get a hold of him like that, you'll brag on him to others more. You'll know that two o'clock in the morning, you can go to him and he'll hear you. You'll know that if he wakes you up about 3.38 in the morning, roll over and you're going, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. Brent, he'll hear you. You know why? Because you're walking with him every day, every day, every day. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you.